The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! We did it. We're amongst the stars. <gasps> We're in there. James, the future's so bright, I had to get laser corrective surgery. <laughs> we both got simultaneous LASIK, which they've never performed before, because our future is so bright. Uh, they, we but the problem just... was, they, they could only do two eyes, so they did my right eye and Paul's left eye. We are... <laughs> Together, we can see very clearly. James, we are just beaming here. There's so much happiness in this room right now. Can you feel that happiness? I can. I can feel the happiness. I can feel the happiness radiating from you, from me, from the dog downstairs. She's radiating. the The radiator is radiating. The radiator is also radiating. We're just so tickled pink. Um, we're just we're just so happy. I'm so tickled. You know? uh, I'm gonna pop them. Sh- I'm, I'm gonna pop some champagne, James. Hey, let's pop that champagne, Paul. Because we did it. We done did it. it. We're there. Oh, I got it all over the. I got it all over the rainbow. I've been walking on. <laughs> Paul's walking on sunshine. Welcome to the Third Men Podcast. I am your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. I'm your other co-host, James Kaminsky. And we are so happy. Just ecstatic. I know it seems a little like we're trying to convince ourselves of that, but that's because this is the literally the latest we've ever started recording. <laughs> I know. I'm usually in bed by 8.30. This is our Jack White History Podcast, the Third Men Podcast, and we go over Jack White history and music and videos, films, movies, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. We do all kinds of stuff. But this week, James, oh, it's a good one. It's a fan. We've got... Fantastic week, Paul. We've got 
a very, very special guest coming hot off the heels of another special guest we just had. I can't believe we got this together. Should we keep them in suspense any longer or should we just tell them? Paul, this has been 20 minutes of riveting, suspenseful drama that I'm sure everyone's just loving. They want to hear more. Yeah. More of this, Paul. For those of you listening at home, I hope this clocked in at a cool two minutes tops. But for us, it was considerably longer. Uh, James, this week on the Third Men Podcast, we've got Jack White's childhood friend, bassist and musician husband of rachel davis folk singer extraordinaire appear on many a festival and concert and television stage a downright famous person who's on our podcast james mr dominic davis dominic john davis is on our podcast paul i feel like we've grazed a bright star that yes that could ex- that may be the lasik james <laughs> Paul, I can't see you, but I'm beaming with, with delight. For those of you who don't know, uh, we just went over some of his credentials here. Dominic Davis was not only a childhood friend of Jack White's, but he also performed with Jack on things such as the Blunderbuss Tour as a member of the Buzzards. He performed on the Lazaretto Tour as part of that touring group. He accompanied Jack on the American Epic Sessions. Uh, he's played on countless Third Man albums and projects. This guy is a key figure in the Third Man family. Yeah, his musical career is extensive. He's been in numerous bands, and uh, he's one of the main talents that Jack calls upon. Time in, time out, time and time again. Time, yeah, many times. Time goes by so slowly. Madonna? <laughs> Oh, it is late. Yeah. You're calling it Madonna. So anyway, we're just so excited. Dominic was just the nicest guy on earth and dealt with our nonsense for like an entire hour. So we're, we're so, we're so thrilled and uh, we've got Dominic on the show. So we're going to, this is an all interview episode. We're going to present that to you and we're just so proud of it. And hey, hopefully this will be the first of many to come. Wink, wink. Yeah. uh, Next week, you can look forward to an all interview special with one Carl Butterball. (laughs) Carl? (laughs) I'm just here to pop in and say that I'm sorry that I'm here at the Dominic Davis show. (laughs) Uh, Carl, I would just like to take this opportunity to explain to you and the audience that uh, Dominic, if there was ever an episode of our show that Dominic Davis was possibly listening to, it's very probably this one, and... He just got to hear you, Carl. It's me and my turkey farm. Trust me, we're very fond of this program. We're on it often. Mr. Davis, if you're out there, I'm sorry that I'm on here. Uh, Carl, I would like to point out to you what Susanna told me before the Dominic Davis interview, which was to, quote, lay off the morning zoo. Don't worry, there's no morning zoo. Turkeys are rarely part of a zoo environment. Mostly the farm. (laughs) But before we get to all of that, Carl... Is there a story that somebody would like to tell? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this was such a mistake. Uh, This is every single one's got a story to tell. I'm going to lay off the Carl now. Paul, that's a great segment. Don't want to hear about it. Every single one. 
James, welcome back. James, would you like to tell the good people what every single one's got a story to tell means? Yes, Paul. Everyone's got a story to tell is the segment of the show in which we have listeners like you send in stories like these uh, so that we can tell them on shows like this. That's a, a very astute and concise summary of this segment, James. So this one... This is every single one's got a story to tell. Now, I put out a feeler on Facebook when we were going over the Tours album, Broken Boys Soldiers, and I asked our listeners, James, to tell us where they were when they first heard the album Broken Boys Soldiers. I remember that. that was a, there was a lot of people responding, Yeah, and uh, we got some pretty good answers there. Yeah, so I picked out a handful here, and uh, we're just going to talk about a couple of them. But for any of you who don't know, well, first of all, if you'd like to know all about the Tours album Broken Boy Soldiers, go listen to episodes 34 and 35 of the podcast. Yeah, go. Go now. Yeah, go do that. But in the meantime, we have from Reina Rodriguez. She was riding in her little bro's first car. His friend had given him the Broken Boy Soldiers CD, and she was drawn to the album cover. They all listened to it while he drove, and she loved it so much that he gave it to her, and uh, he also introduced her to uh, Cut Like a Buffalo later on. Ah, interesting. That's a pretty yeah. good experience. That's a very good experience. Lots going on there, so thank you very much, Raina, for sending that in. We also have Amy Lynn McCoskey, who wrote in and said that she was at home sitting in front of her record player. She said, if I can hold off on listening to a new album until I can get my hands on the vinyl, I will. Now that is dedication because, hey, when this one came out, James, eh, not a lot of people still were buying vinyl. I think vinyls really started to pick up steam toward the latter half of the 2000s. Though. Yeah, it was in its early stages. This story is interesting to me because the way you say it, she was sitting there and all of a sudden either someone put it on the record turntable for her <laughs> magically or it just kind of appeared out of nowhere. I think, uh, you know what might have happened is uh, her friend brought it over. Uh, it was a girl who liked to shop. <sighs> uh, we've also got here from I don't know if it's Kel or Kelly but I think it's Kel Hardin. Uh, she said she was on the radio. She's got a needle it likes to drop. There you go. Kel Hardin said that she was listening to it on the radio while she was driving. That's where she heard it for the first time, which was on the radio. Now, James, where were you when you first heard Broken Boy Soldiers? Ooh, that's a good question. I think you played it f- steady as she goes for me in the car mm. on the way to Sondek Park, I think, in ah. New Jersey. You had done a, made a mix CD of all of your summer listening tunes and uh oh summer listening this single was a part of it and then uh i think after you had received the album and by received i think you bought the album i listened to it as well (laughs) yes i bought it. it was one of the first jack albums that wasn't like lent to me like that was one of the first ones that i like owned you know or i sought out Mm. Uh, i i recall very um very distinctly Although I had gotten other albums that they were given to me or something like that. That's the first one I think I might have bought with my own money now that I now that I think about it. But yeah, that's what happened. I got it at Best Buy in South Brunswick, New Jersey, and I loved it to tears, still have the C D, still listen to it to this day. In fact I had it in the car the other week, and that's been every single one's got a story to tell. And we sure did. Oh, 
And now, James, we're going to hop right into this interview here. Again, this one's a long one. Uh, we were so happy that Dominic was so gracious with his time. We learned a lot, and here we go. Let's hop right in. Let's hop. Welcome to our third man for this week, Dominic Davis. Dominic, we are th- I can't even I can't even believe I just said those words. Dominic, we're thrilled to have you on the show. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I'm getting off the tour and heading home for Father's Day. Or not really home, heading to Michigan for Father's Day. Mm-hmm. Nice. And uh, feeling pretty good. Nice. You have any good Father's Day plans? What are you doing? You drink, drinking some beers? What are you doing? It's my father-in-law's retirement party. Whoa, that he whoa. ran a GED program in northern Michigan for a really long time. Oh, wow. And uh, he's retiring today, but they kind of live in the middle of nowhere and hours from any airport, so I'm going to get there kind of late. <laughs> Well, we uh, we hope it goes well, and we wish him a happy retirement. Yeah, happy retirement. Happy retirement, son. We know he's listening. <laughs> oh, so, Dominic, we're big fans of yours. We're thrilled to talk to you today. You know, we got to know you through Jack White's music, and you've been a familiar face in the Third Man family. You've been a real mainstay for so long, and, you know, most recently in, in the American Epic documentary, which we'll sort of get to in a little bit. But we wanted to sort of start at the beginning, and when did you first pick up the bass? How did you first come to that instrument? Well, growing up, there was a guitar around the house that was an uncle of mine. And uh, I sort of just started playing that probably when I was like 10 or 11. And then I met Jack when we were, I guess, right around then, 10, 11, or 12. And I got an electric guitar that my mom bought me. And then one time we were in the attic, the same attic that he recorded all the synthetic sounds of Detroit and some of the early space (laughs) albums. Wow. And we were were, were playing with his brother. We were really young. Like, we were probably 12 or 13. And my guitar just wouldn't wouldn't stay in tune because it was a piece of junk. (laughs) So, so Eddie Gillis, who's running the record plant now, yeah, he put a bass on me because he, he tried to tune his guitar. And he was like, you know what? I don't think this thing's gonna work. And he's like, maybe you're a bass player, and so he put a bass on me. <laughs> uh, and then shortly after that, I went to Cass Tech High School, where bass is sort of uh, uh, there, there's a long lineage of, of jazz bass players that went to Cass, and they have a ridiculous music program. So. I just hit the ground running once I got into high school. That's awesome. Wow. So you took yeah. to the bass pretty quickly. How long did it transition from electric bass to upright, or, or did you have a preference to start? Or Well, it, you know, a lot of kids don't have upright basses, and so as soon as I got into high school and could play one in orchestra, and the cast tech was, I was lucky enough, they would let you take them home, which a lot of schools oh, wow. up here. Yeah, and so uh, right around then, so I guess ninth grade, I started playing upright. And then it was a great time for the upright bass, you know, because the MCA was playing upright bass on a Beastie Boys records. Ron Carter, who went to my high school and was a jazz bass player, was playing a Tripod Quest record. So it kind of <laughs> seemed like, at least, at least to me, the upright bass was like everywhere in popular music of the day, you know? Yeah. Wow. I, I, did, I guess I didn't realize the Tribe Called Quest connection went back that far. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Ron Carter, uh, he played on all sorts of stuff, in the, you know, throughout the whole jazz era, but they hired him 
to uh, play along the samples and things. So that's him on most of those track records, all that great bass. Is your motive, then you don't like survival. The abstract is speaking, the heartbeats is reaching to black and Puerto Ricans because their butt naked streaking through the ever murky streets of the urbanized areas. Blasting out the speakers is the hip hop hysteria. Craig is in the house, Pete Rock is in the house, CL is in the house, Ultra Mag is in the house, Nice and Smooth is in the house, Big Daddy Kane is in the house. Nuts is in the house. Special Ed is in the house. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this one goes out to my man. Thanks a lot, Ron Carter. On the bass. Yes, my man, Ron Carter is on the bass. And check it out. And they kind of give me shout outs all the time on the record. Oh, wow. wow. So it's wow. cool, you know, buying those albums new in the 90s. Knowing that he went to our high school, we had a bass he had donated to our high school, <laughs> huh. and he's like, you know, playing on these records that I'm listening to is, is pretty, pretty moving, you know. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah, I think the only famous person who went to our high school, famous in the musical sense, was uh, wasn't it someone from like Def Leppard, Paul? Oh yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't. We yeah. grew up in. Uh... We grew up in central New Jersey, and the, there there was a music scene in around New Brunswick. There's a nice punk scene that was happening in the late 70s and sort of throughout the 80s. But, uh, yeah, we didn't have, like, the big... I think the screaming females were probably the biggest thing <clears throat> at the time. But uh, Yeah, Cass, if you look it up, it's kind of crazy. A whole lot of jazz musicians and Big Sean went to school there, um, uh, David Allen Greer, and, I mean, it's Diana Ross. Like, it's just all these people. It's, it's really wow. special. So, wow. and it's it, it's a strange place. It, it's public school, but you pick a major, and then you take more classes. You know, so if I was an, a music major, you would take more music classes than say English classes, and then some of them were blocks of two and three hours. Huh. So really, huh. kind of, so it was really cool. I mean, they, I always tell people they gave me a great relationship. Yeah. With music. So this is the mid '90s. Uh, what were you listening to back then? Were you listening to a lot of contemporary stuff, or was it mostly classic rock stuff? Or oh, a lot of contemporary stuff. Actually, by high school, we had kind of gone through a lot of classic rock. I feel like we were a little bit of ahead of the curve, just because Jack had so many older brothers. <laughs> yeah. So we so we had gone through all the stuff they listened to, and I think by high school we were starting to you know get into our own music and also start digging really back into the blues, you know. Because Led Zeppelin led led me to chess blues, and that led me to all the 20s and 30s Delta blues. Yeah. So, well, early on, speaking of which, I had heard that you were in a band with Jack called The Fuck Ups. Is that true? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I guess you could call it a band. We had a name, (laughs) and and we recorded a lot. We did play a couple of gigs. Uh, His brothers and a cousin and a few other people were in... I guess you call it an alternative rock band, sort of before alternative rock was a thing. They were called Catalyst. Okay. Uh, and they were always recording, they were always gigging. It seemed like they just play regionally, but they were playing original music. And I think that was a little pivotal for us, just seeing a band sort of exist, you know, playing their own tunes and, and playing gigs and stuff. And so we opened for them a couple of times, and they sort of dubbed us the fuck up. <laughs> we, we were always hanging around their rehearsal basement, you know, recording spot, and kind of like waiting for our turn, you know. I mean, some of them were very cool to us when they didn't need to be, you know. I read an interview with Paul, with Paul McCartney a long time ago. Where I can't remember. Or I think it was an interview with somebody else saying they were at a wedding with Paul, 
and so many people came up to talk to him, he couldn't eat his dinner. <laughs> and, and he was like so nice to everybody. And someone else at the table asked him, like, how do you do that? He said that he and John broke in backstage to see the Everly Brothers. And they were both so cool to talk to them for a super long time. And that was, you know, real instrumental to them. So I try to keep that in mind. I'm always trying to help, especially teenagers playing, you know. Right. Give them tips or mail them gear or, like, anything you can do to help somebody. <laughs> you, know, you, never, you never know what going to send somebody on the right path. Right. That attitude is really refreshing to hear from a music industry that I sometimes feel like could be very jaded or not quite as uh, empathetic or compassionate. So it's appreciated. Yeah. You know, I've been lucky. Everybody, I've been playing with Buddy Miller and, you know, doing all that stuff for the Nashville TV show. Up and down, it's just really great people. Nashville, the the TV show in particular, Mm -hmm. for the music, music side of things and all the actors, everyone's so cool. It's like a big family. And I don't think it's always like like that. That's what it feels like. just caught that Anthony Bourdain special where he did the Nashville spotlight and they went to Allison's house and all that stuff. Yeah, we spend our summers up in Michigan because it's so hot in Nashville. Uh-huh. And our, our families are up there and everything, so we missed out on that when it was happening. I wish oh, I could have been around for it. It made it seem like a very homey place, you know, and, and very welcoming to everyone. And it just made me want to go there. James and I haven't been since we were little kids. I think 94 was the last time we were there. So we, we've been wanting to go back and check the place out. And Boy, after seeing those uh, restaurants Anthony Bourdain took them to, I was getting hungry. Yeah, you should. You should come sometime when there's a third man show. Yeah. That's, that's the, Blue Room, the Blue Room is really special. I just played there, I guess, like two weeks ago with the North Mississippi All-Stars. Mm-hmm. And it was great. You know, they did a live taping. It's just really, it's such an event. You know, it's, it's inspiring. It makes you want to go out and, you know, make a record or do something sure. after you sure. even when I Even when I go see shows there. Yeah. And it's great, great, just kind of full circle because I met Luther Dickinson from the North Mississippi All Stars and the Black Crows at C6D's show because he sat in oh. on And that's sort of where the, the North Mississippi All Stars connection came about. So you're wow. Wow. Like a circle around the sun, want you to love me, babe. Tell my easy ride to come. Don't believe it, love you. What a fool I've been. Don't believe I'm sinking. What a hole I've I'm stealing, stealing. I pray that mama don't you tell on me. I'm stealing back to my same old used to be. Well, a woman I'm loving, she my color and kind. Cause she's a man woman. Come, come to see me sometime. Don't believe a lover, what a fool I've been. Don't believe I'm sinking. 
that would actually bring me into uh, another question, actually. How does the atmosphere of playing with someone like Jack differ from playing in these other groups that you have, like uh, the North Mississippi All-Stars and even playing with your wife, Rachel? Is there a difference in atmosphere between those two? Well, this, you know, some gigs, like with Rachel, it's more of a sit-down folk thing, you know, like a storytelling thing. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of where I came from. I mean, I was into punk rock and doing all this stuff, but I really was a side guy backing up singer-songwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's essentially what I do with Jack, but it's so spontaneous with him, you know? Because <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think people, I don't think people realize, like, exactly how spontaneous it was. Because, you know, we, we walk out there without before he comes out, and a lot of times we don't even know what song we're playing. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, like, we, we, we don't, so we don't use set lists either, but we also, I mean, it's really off the cuff. So sometimes we don't finish a song, then you realize, like, three songs later, you're coming back to finish that song. Because <laughs> uh, he, he went into another song, you know. Right, so it's right. really all over the place. Like when, when Robert Plant sat in with us in South America, that was an instance where he did tell us what we were playing. <laughs> and so he said, he said, go out there, we're going to play Icky Thump. And it was an encore. And so we're just kind of making noise. And he walked out, and I just saw this look on his face. I was like, we're not going to play this song. <laughs> and then that, that was a total surprise, and we had never played that song before. Oh wow! You had to wing it. You had to trust your classic rock knowledge to take to take you through that. Yeah, well, we we learned that song years ago, so it was in there still. And I think maybe he had he did sang it a couple times that week while Robert was watching or something like that. <laughs> um, something like that. So in some ways, it's it's different than other gigs. And in other ways, it's the same. You know, North Mississippi All-Stars, same thing. Like Luther will get on a Mississippi Fred McDowell kick and just cycle through like four Fred McDowell songs in one song. Hmm. And just kind of following him, you know? And I guess holding down the rhythm part of it, you kind of have to take a feel for where they're going and play to the song and, you know feel the the vibe of the venue. I imagine there's a lot of different factors that go into how you accompany that kind of approach. Yeah, it's interesting. When your target is a moving target, you don't <laughs> always hit it. I mean, that, that's just kind of no, you know. So sometimes it doesn't work out, but a lot of times it does, you know. Yeah, right. A big difference, though, I think, with him and everybody else is intent. Like, he's so, for example, we haven't done anything in the last two and a half years. We haven't played any shows. We played Prairie Home Companion when they excuse me right. out. Other bands would just, you know, I know people in Cheryl Crow's band and a few other bands, and they'll go out and play weekends, with benefits, so it's like do all the stuff. We wouldn't ever go out unless it was an album session, just because it's so deliberate. You know, everything is so, has to have a reason, you know? Yeah. And, that, and that's kind of across the board, whether you're talking about booking shows or you're talking about how we're playing, you know, intent is everything. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good, though, in that we get to see the band, yourself included, in all sorts of other bands and other contexts. I know me and Paul have spent time seeing shows from all sorts of other third man acts in lieu of it because everybody's spread out right now. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of nice to have a lot of options. To yeah. Out. Yeah. And, you know, like Lily Mae's on tour with Toki and Margot's filling it everywhere. It's been it's been really fun to see. Mm-hmm. And it, it's changed kind of a lot even since. I guess I'd say 2010, like the record industry's changed so much that third man can kind of do more than they could before. Yeah. Right. Without help of a major, you know? Yeah. So James, lots going on in this first segment here. I, uh, first of all, I had no idea that the Tribe Called Quest connection went that far back with Dominic and Jack to the point where Ron Carter had gone to the uh, high school that... Dominic went to. I uh, yeah, I had no idea either. Which is, which is by the way, a very funny story. If you go and look up a little bit about this guy, and I did, um, he had a condition for the song he was on that he asked no profanity be used hmm. by those youngins, and they evidently had told him that they would only be talking about real issues, which I found to be amazing and stuff because this is like 1993, yeah, something like that. The realest of real. Uh, But it would have been something that Jack would have, uh, certainly would have been a conversation icebreaker for him, you know, Mm -hmm. when he did meet them. But I thought that was really interesting. And then there's uh, the the bit about Jack's brother's alt-rock group called Catalyst. I never really even knew these guys existed. Uh, So this was, I mean, it's it's been out there. It's been known by the fan community, I guess, for a little while. I didn't know. But really, really interesting. And apparently their group, the ups opened for catalyst yeah and i know dominic had talked about it in an interview with for the book fell in love with a band briefly and that's where i had originally read about them and their other band the 13th floor which i think was the very same band i mean it's just the same members but um yeah it's it's super interesting to hear the gillis family getting gigs for, for these young folks yeah, no, it was really interesting, and so lot, lots going on here. Dominic had a lot of really cool stories, and so yeah, James, I think we're going to get back into it, talk, uh, get, get to a little more of this interview. Yeah, let's do it. Talk a little bit about Jack on stage. Was he like that early on and when you were playing with him when you guys were kids? Was he into that kind of spontaneous thing, or was it, or is that something that evolved over time? Uh, I, we didn't perform that much. We recorded more than anything when yeah. we were teenagers. Oh, okay. Uh, and when we did when we did perform, a lot of times he was playing drums. Right. But I think right. that came with the stripes when you saw it. You know what I mean? Because he could go anywhere because there was only two of them. And he would do that all the time. Mm. Right. And when he called, when Blunderbuss was sort of coming together and he was trying to figure out what he's going to do for a band and everything, he called me and, and said that he wanted that freedom. Like with the Raconteurs, he couldn't just go from song to song to song. There's two singers, you know. Right. Got to have a little bit of a plan. They're hopping on instruments. Right. But he said he wanted, he, he was asking, like, do you think we can do this? Like, can I just be who I am and we'll just go everywhere with him? And I was like, yeah, well, sure. <laughs> uh, but we rehearsed like crazy. Yeah. So, and the rehearsals were sort of like shows where he would just pick up a guitar and just start playing a song, you know, not really tell us what we're going to work on. <laughs> that seems <Man>. stressful. <laughs> oh, no, no. I mean, we, we got a song list. Okay. Like songs okay. to learn. And uh, a lot of them, maybe like 80 of them. <laughs> yeah, we uh, had heard that you guys were consolidated into two separate groups to practice a lot of these. Well, we had to because there's so much material. You mean with the girls and guys? Yeah, yeah during the Blunderbuss tour. 
Yeah, well, we kind of had to because otherwise it was going to take twice as long. You know what I mean? And he also wanted it to be two different things, like playing things two different ways. So a lot of times it was like, uh, you know, between Third Man and his studio, we we were set up in two different places, and he would go back and forth like four times. Because we would have to, we would really have to work on stuff without him just to try to figure a lot of this out. Is it true that you guys were across town or in completely separate buildings, right? And he would have to shuttle himself back and forth to each? Yeah, but I mean, that's just logistics. Like, we couldn't really be in the same place because right. it's so loud. Right. <laughs> and we also, we wouldn't really rent a rehearsal spot because he's got spots for us to rehearse at, you know? Gotcha. Right. right. Yeah, but it was kind of cool that we didn't, hadn't seen each other until we started playing shows. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think I, I watched all of the Peacock shows, I think. I mean, there might have been one or two that I wasn't at. You know, like, sometimes the tour would end and they would be going to L.A., and I knew I wasn't playing because it was, like, the last show of the tour. I've been. I think I saw all, but just a couple. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we. I mean, we saw a bunch of shows on that tour with both bands, and uh, all of them were completely energetic. Particularly in the Blunderbuss tour, but also on the Lazaretto tour, they were remarkable shows. And James and I had only seen the White Stripes one time before they split up. But it was my impression that there was an attempt to have a band sort of be in a place of where, like, say, Meg was going to be in the Stripes, so Jack could sort of do what he was doing in the stripes but with a full band instead of just meg kind of thing is is there any truth to that or do you think any of that was about recapturing the spontaneity of the white stripes in that way yeah no certainly especially if we're going to do that material mm-hmm. and like and that task is heavy because you know like that band is so perfect to me yeah certain songs it's easy to put a bass line under because jack's kind of uh, just doubling a riff on like it's up or something that that makes sense mm-hmm. um what did we do there were a couple songs that were really hard surprisingly oh god i'm not gonna think of what it was but you know it's, those songs are so iconic it's, it was really kind of wild to try to replicate that right yeah and to add a bass to it too where uh, that part didn't exist Exactly, exactly. And we needed all the instrumentation to do all the solo stuff that we were going to do because it was so sort of orchestral, like the song Blunderbuss, you know. Like you need a piano, you need an upright bass, you know, you need the steel. But then figuring out where those things fit in all the other material, that took a while. Right. We're just kind of learning how to flow, you know, how how he's going to... He usually tells the one person that needs to know what song we're doing. Mm-hmm. Or just launches into it if nobody needs to know or, you know. <laughs> but it was really confusing a lot of times, you know, something he would play, let's say like uh, Apple Blossom. He played that on the piano a lot. 
but sometimes you play it on the guitar. <laughs> but so then you 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 know he starts it and you you have a moment as a band member. You thinking, do I know this song? <laughs> you know, because it could be a song we've never done before. Yeah, yeah. you always had that that moment where it's like, um, is this? And then you know, halfway through, sometimes like, oh, okay, I know I know what we're doing now. <laughs> really keeps you on your toes. Well, especially as it was giant festival spot. That is so daring because bands now, uh, computers sort of. You know, if from a production standpoint, computers sort of dominate things. Mm-hmm. So a lot of bands are playing the, playing the track. So, like, people aren't actually playing on stage. Uh, and a drum drummer will have, like, a click in his ear, or he can hear, like, you know, sometimes it's just atmosphere, but some bands it's, like, straight-up background vocals, like recordings of background vocals you're playing to. Mm-hmm. Right. But now a lot of bands, that computer syncs everything. The lights, you know, and a lot of times you can change the pedals on the guitar effects on guitars and stuff all in the box you know mm-hmm. so when we're going out we are kind of one of the few bands that didn't do that and you got to kind of compete with that you know like like uh you can make a kick drum sound great if you put a trigger on it and you can load the sample of the bass drum you got sound you got on the album yeah <laughs> we just didn't want to open that door you know what i mean well yeah it seemed the desire wouldn't be there on jack's part not to mention the rest of the group yeah, for sure, for sure. But I think a lot of bands do, I mean, a whole lot of bands do that. We played the Corona Festival in Mexico and lightning had struck close to the site. And so they had to shut everything down. Uh-huh. And then, you know, like power, whatever, some sort of reason that they, they couldn't, they powered everything down. And then we were behind a bunch of bands, like they, we got behind schedule. And they power, once they got the okay to power everything up, we were like the only band that could just go out there and play <laughs> without rebooting and like you know, figuring out where the computers were all at, and everything. right? That, that that was an eye opener. Uh, I feel like worst case, you guys could just be like, "This is an acoustic show now," <laughs> and you could still get out there and do it. <laughs> James and I both work in art, and sometimes I think about, "Hey, if all these computers just got fried one day, we wouldn't have any art to put out because it's all done on computer." So it's so funny you say that because it, yeah, you guys were the ultimate example of how it still can be done the way it used to be and still sound good. You know? Yeah. Oh. It's- thing though i mean when you have like a what's called a square wave which is sort of like uh synthesizers or like uh, you know that that like massive bass you're hearing at all this edm stuff you hear you know mm-hmm. and you, you're trying to compete with that sonically at some point you got to do something you know what i mean yeah but we just we just never did right so, Dominic, with all that spontaneity in the mix there, did you find Jack leaning on you as somebody he could rely on since he knew you for so long? Was there Did he lean on your musical rapport at all, do you think? Uh, I don't know if he did intentionally, but he might launch into, like, a Ventures song or a Dick Dale song that we learned in high school. <laughs> and suddenly, I was like, oh, wow, I still remember this song. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, he's always played two drums. Mm-hmm. So him and Daru, but that that chemistry there is amazing. And him and Carla was really special. Yeah. That was 
some more very interesting stuff from Dominic. Hearing about the differences in playing with his different groups was fascinating. And the idea that he has almost literally no idea what song they're going to play, even as they're out on the stage playing... They don't know what song Jack's going to go into until Jack literally walks out. So that, I found that the most interesting because I would have thought that he would have at least said, all right, we're going to get out there. You know, we're going to play a key thump. You know, we're going to we're going to thump like champs. Well, but no, they had their set songs that they knew. What interested? Yeah, 250 well, right. of them. Or but between the two bands. Yeah. But it goes with what we were saying during the Blunderbuss tour stuff. That's what happened. They were trying to keep on the heels of Jack. Jack was trying to keep, you know, that no set list thing going on what surprised me the most was that sometimes occasionally he would pull out a song that even they didn't practice beforehand ah like uh some kind of you know some kind of tune that you know dominic would recall from earlier in his childhood he didn't even realize jack was you know gonna put that number in the show so like the one they played with robert plant right that was really interesting too it just it puts the watching those shows in a new light when i now think oh they're out there and they're not sure they're just sort of vamping Mm. as a group until he gets out there and then he sort of looks at them and goes you know so i thought that that was all very interesting and um you know we talked about him sort of treating that group a little bit like meg the band almost you know like treating them a little bit like the white stripes so i thought it was a fascinating insight you know from dominic so we're gonna we're gonna hop back in james we're gonna listen to a little more of this interview here all righty that group was so strong in his or her own right in both groups really but you know we're talking about the buzzards peacocks and the last the sort of combined group um everyone had an awesome personality and all the different personalities shine through when we were seeing the show even without you know really knowing everybody as well as we knew jack so it's been really cool seeing where the trajectories of all those different artists have been leading um yeah especially now with lily may like a few a few people having their you know getting their own leg you know yeah so are we going to get a are we going to get a dominic davis solo release are we i know you sing i've heard you harmonize with rachel you sound great what are we what are we doing here come on what are we doing Uh, yeah i don't know i mean it comes comes down to intent again you know why would i if I had a reason to make one or like a batch of songs or something, I think yeah. I would. But what I've been doing lately, lately is producing a lot. Oh, that's cool. They're so trying to. Yeah, I produced that Willie Nelson record for oh, Third wow. Man. Right. Oh, right. That was his birthday thing. And then uh, there's been a couple other things here and there. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, you've been doing, like, arranging, right? Like, doing orchestral arrangement or something? Yeah, like- kind of, yeah. I mean, I've, I've produced a punk rock record for a friend of mine. I'm just trying to, at this point, just sort of helping friends. Mm-hmm who have been wanting to make records or who I've seen and I know they have a bunch of songs, just help them finish those records. You right, know? right. Speaking of arranging and, and orchestral stuff, we were talking about you putting bass lines and stuff on White Stripe songs. Can you tell us a little bit about City Lights, the sort of lost White Stripe song, I guess you could call it, that uh, you and Jack wound up polishing off last year and putting out in conjunction with the Acoustic Recordings release. How did that come about, and was it daunting to add to the White Stripe's legacy, or did it feel more natural? Well, I mean, it's definitely heavy, because I've known both Jack and Nick for so long. That wasn't Mm -hmm. lost on me. He called me real last minute, and that's the way it is, almost (laughs) always. And we, I, I knew he was making an acoustic record, and they were already starting to mix a lot of that stuff. And I knew that there, you know, there's a lot of recording, and he works so fast. I mean, I would say between Lazaretto and Blunderbuss, there might be twenty to thirty 
that didn't oh, make wow. the record. Oh, wow. And even in the case of the song Lazaretto, that was sort of like a, I don't want to say a throwaway, but it was just sort of an experiment that didn't have any lyrics. Huh. <laughs> like, I, I didn't think it was going to be, you know, it didn't have lyrics for maybe two years. What? We could, well, or maybe a year and a half. Because we recorded it during Blunderbuss tour. Like, we were just happened to be rehearsing or something, and we all, we, you know, he scheduled a session. They did just one drink. We did Lazaretto and Three Women. Three Women was more finished, uh-huh. you know, like you could tell that was, that was happening. Right. And so, City Lights, he called me and was like, hey, can you come and play on this tune today? Uh, and I went in there, and it's pretty crooked, you know? And it's beautiful. Like, it, re- it reminded me of sort of a George Harrison, like the first time yeah. I heard it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Um, and it just wasn't, it was kind of falling apart in places. It just needed a little bit of polishing. And so we did a bunch of different things. I almost doubled all of the guitar, like all those lines. And then we sort of simplified it down to where I would just pedal. Mm -hmm. And then I would play, you know. And it was crazy playing that song. We only played it once on Furry on Companion, but it's not an easy song. And I had a shaker tape to my leg. (laughs) Mimic Meg's shaker. But it's it's gorgeous. Strangers hand and hold it as tightly as I can. I will tell my their reaction. They'll like me or I am crazy. When the lights of the city hit my eyes on the plane, looking out the Well, your bass playing is so beautiful. That song, I think when I first heard it, I was just, it almost brought a tear to my eye. It was so beautiful. I, I see the George Harrison thing you're talking about. It sounds like something off All Things Must Pass or something, but. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the time it was written in, I think it was from the Get Behind Me Satan era, and that's my favorite Jack album. Yeah, I, I, it was cool to hear more from that, and I, I God, I hope there's more. I hope there's more <laughs> songs kicking around. You know, I, I don't you know, want to pry. Think about <laughs> this: he's, he's recorded every single show he's ever done yeah. from the very beginning. Right. Like I think even the coffee house shows, just because we had portable, we had a real, real, you know. Yeah. And so, like that alone is like there's so much out there. Yeah. So the shaker on your leg, did you have a very tiny microphone stand uh, hooked up? Uh, no, no, <laughs> shakers are pretty loud. Okay. Like just, uh, it was like we, we taped a Sharpie cap to it, so, and then the clip on the Sharpie cap like, flipped onto my shoe. Okay. That's how that worked. Thank you, Josh, Josh Smith. 
saving the day. Wow. The bass you played on that was the uh, Chrome one, right? No, that was my bass. Oh, it was? Uh, the, Chrome, the Chrome one is interesting. Like, uh, you can hear the Chrome one on uh, Michael Keaton's record. Mm-hmm. one is so particular it doesn't sound woody at all and that maybe is the number one characteristic of an upright bass you know so is that an aesthetic choice or is that a sound choice well it was kind of both jack saw it and couldn't pass it up because it looks so cool like we always wanted a black upright bass mm, yeah. in the blue in the blue lights with the white stage anything sunburst turns like bright red mm. or, or like burgundy and just kind of sticks out you know yeah uh, in for blunderbuss tour i covered my bass in craft paper. Huh. Uh, you can see it, it kind of looks like it's clay, and I did the same thing to Bryn's face. <laughs> uh, and then and eventually Catherine's face. Uh, so we always wanted a black upright bass, but they're they're interesting instruments, you know, like they don't, you can't just buy one and it's going to sound good on a giant stage, you know. Right. Like it has to, you know, work it out and then pickups are kind of hard and stuff. So the chrome bass looks great, but it also is perfect for arenas. It doesn't uh, feed back like a regular upright bass Wow. But it's also really hard to play. You know, wood flexes a little bit. Mm-hmm. So the strings are so tight on that thing. Yeah. You know, when, yeah. we, when we were rehearsing for Prairie Companion, I, I forgot. I was like, oh, yeah, this thing again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have blisters on your fingers, right? The, the yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I remember what I played, and I played it on parallel, too. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. Uh, it sounds like it's got a reverb tank on it or something. Wow. It was very resonant. That's my favorite B-side from that from the Lazaretto era. I love that. That's yeah, a that's a Dean Fatita cover, Brendan. right? I think Brendan helped write that too. I think. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the Lazaretto era, do you have any memories that you might be able to share with us of recording the album? Anything that pops out at you? I mean, James and I love that album to tears. I think maybe even more than Blunderbuss. At least speaking for myself, is there any memories you have of that you might want to share with us? One thing that was cool was all of the quieter songs. So like Entitlement and uh, uh, Alone in My Home and uh... yeah, Alone in My Home. Those were like. Jack said, he, the band wasn't in town. That's why Blackwell played drums. Mm. <laughs> but he would say, "Hey, we're just gonna make some demo." And so we go to go to the studio and like, not, you know, things aren't really set up or checked. And he's like, "No, it's just gonna be demos. Like, let's just do it real fast." <laughs> you know. And so and so I think we got. You know, normally you'd play for a while and get sound dialed in. And I think we probably played for like fifteen minutes or something like that. And they wanted to be on the record, you know. That's, that's, that's kind of him in a nutshell, a little bit. Yeah, it's so funny. He did something similar with Margot. I know, where he had her play a demo, and then he's like, I was in the other room the whole time, and that's, we're putting that out. <laughs> awesome. And she's really special. I'm really glad that people are taken to her so well. She, oh. she played on Prayer and Companion with us, and she's just, she's a sweetheart, and she's really great at what she does, and she just, People connect with her. Like when you're on stage with her, you're watching people connect. Yeah. You know, it's really, it's really something special. Yeah, I had the privilege yeah, we, of seeing her at the Troubadour last year, and I was absolutely enthralled. She has so much stage presence, and she makes a personal connection with the audience as well as the band. And she looks like she's having fun when she smiles up there. 
everyone smiles along with her because it, it's this sort of unspoken, hey, we're having a great time in her face that just lights up the room. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. It's been great, too, because those releases are just their man releases, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Most of Jack's albums are paired with a, a major label. Right. And it's been really great to see. Like, it's doable now, you know? James, I loved hearing about City Lights. I just thought that was the bee's knees of the conversation. I loved it. Cause I, you know why? Because I love that song. It's a good song. And I'm glad that it got punched up. And I'm glad that they got Dominic to help punch it up. Because, I don't know, I feel like for a song that we had never heard before, it was so incredible to hear something so polished and fine-tuned. And uh, it felt stripesy in the right ways. It felt Jack White in the right ways. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, he he did such a good job with it. Yes, and uh, it was so nice to hear not only new White Stripes material. I guess you'd call it new White Stripes material. It was written during that time, so fine. It's new White Stripes material. Essentially, it was a new Jack song we got last year, and we got two, maybe. Yeah, if you count Love Is the Truth, it was new to us because we hadn't really Ish. seen the Coke ad. Yeah. All right, so let's count that. Those two and the Muppets cover, and that's pretty much what we had last year. Oh, no, and the Beyonce stuff. All right, four. Anyway, we charge you... tribe called Quest. For the love of God, James. (laughs) The man was busy. What can you say? How can this guy be so busy and not put out an album? He's busy doing those other things. Well, anyway, it was really cool, and it's such a lovely song. What a beautiful coda, not just to Get Behind Me Satan, but to that group. Yeah, he couldn't have gotten someone better for the job. I mean, the man is familiar with all of the White Stripes songs inside and out and even added layers to them that never existed before. So, you know, I didn't even think about that. This guy's already used to adding bass lines to White Stripes songs. <laughs> we talked about that a little bit in the interview, too. But he's just I mean, he would have been tailor made for this. And he knew them when they were younger. He's really one of the only people that could have given you that sound. Yeah. So, hey, good on him. And, you know, this is that's one of the things that we didn't really talk about all that much in this interview, which was just how good of a bass player Dominic Davis is. He's just a very skilled performer, and seeing him play, he always looks like he's into it. He looks like he's having fun. He looks like he's enjoying it. And he really translates a lot of that joy to the audience, and uh, he's just uh, he's an incredible, incredible musician. Agreed. Well, James, let's get on back to this interview here. Get on back briefly get back to the lazaretto album you guys actually went all the way to france to play a couple of songs at the chateau de fontainebleau <laughs> yeah was that, like? was that as last minute as some of these demos did he say come to france with me <laughs> no we, we, were, we were already on tour there okay. and we that, that was a crazy for i think we did something like 12 no 14 shows in 12 days or something Whoa. like that Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we crazy. we also did that crazy Lazaretto, I don't know if you heard about, I can't remember what they called it now, but basically like they did this fan club kind of thing where people, you know, they're saying, are you infected? Oh, the hospital. Oh, yeah. 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 But that was on that same tour. Viscovo, yeah. Yeah, exactly, Viscovo, with like this sort of, you know, art troupe, a performance art troupe kind of. Mm-hmm. So that was a little bit last minute, and we, were, we did two nights in Paris. I think at the Olympia, and we, and, you know, that was a few hours out. But it was so gorgeous there um, that it worked out well. You know, we, it was funny. We play really loud rock and music on stage. <laughs> but especially in the States when we have buses and we can bring other instruments, it's like a string band, you know, like the, the acoustic band. Right. Yeah. That, that's kind of what we're doing on the bus all the time. 
Right. And so, what did we what did we play on that thing? We played uh, Same Boy You've Always Known. Yeah, and, and yes, you yeah, played that and Entitlement. Yeah. Yeah, and Same Boy You've Always Known. We didn't do very much uh, yet live, but we had just been playing it around, just you know, playing it wherever, mm-hmm. you know, in the stair in the stairwell or whatever, <laughs> you know, backstage. <laughs> I heard somewhere that that's... No, not the stairwell. No, the same boy you've always known. Uh, Although maybe the stairwell. Who knows? But... uh, Oh, you mean... Oh, the song. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's funny. Pat always says... um, He's got a tour quote. He always says... Because touring can be really crazy. Like, I... This this tour I'm on, we just slept like six hours last three days. But... uh, And Pat always says, like, if it's just really bad, you know, like something bad going down... He says, you know, you, you can't put a price on this lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> but then we're at that chateau, and it's gorgeous, and he says, you can't put a price on this lifestyle. Uh, <laughs> so he uses it in, like, the best instances and the worst instances of touring. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that would make me uh, either very concerned or very thrilled if I hear that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if we ever talk to him and he's on the podcast and he goes, you just can't put a price on this lifestyle, I'm going to be both very happy and very sad all at the same time. He's, man, he, you guys got to get him on because he's a character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we would love to talk to Fats. We love him. We, we think he's great. The first time we saw him with that theremin, we had instantly fallen in love with his stage presence. Yeah, he played clarinet and that almost, we were looking for something, you know, especially with some of the slide guitar songs, two slide instruments isn't always what you want right you know it was like finding everybody's place and there was a moment where jack's like man maybe you should play clarinet on some of this stuff and he clarinet's kind of a hobby for him uh-huh. and we were going back and forth and back and forth and finally that's like well you know i play it here <laughs> and so then it turned it, it turned into such a thing you know? <laughs> that is awesome we saw the lazaretto tour a few times and uh I think the first time we got a good look at Fats playing the theremin was at the Meriwether Post Pavilion in Maryland. Where, oh, cool. And that show was, it was cool because it was the first time either of us had seen Olivia Jean live. And I was a huge fan of her album. I like the Black Bell stuff, but I really thought that solo record she put out was just phenomenal. And you, uh, you know, I remember you out there uh, during the, the press junket for that. You played on that one, right? Yeah, I played on almost all of it.
everything. Right. So some songs she played everything, mm-hmm. and that's my favorite kind of kind of player. Where it's like she writes all the parts, and sometimes if you're stuck, I just give her the bass. Right. <laughs> say, well, you know what, what are you? What would you play on it? Yeah. So, yeah, that was a super fun fun record to make. So I think she's working on new now too. We'd love to hear more yeah. from her. I mean, she's a great songwriter, and I think Jack produced that sound really well. And you know, I, I, as I say, I like the Black Bell stuff too. But there was something about her approach, and it, it felt more of like a family atmosphere with all you guys, the Third Man family, sort of all coming together and playing on that record with her. You know, it sounded very warm. Yeah, it was it was really fun to do. But I met her when we did the Lana Jackson tour, right? right. And Alma. But she played like a baritone guitar, which is tuned just like a bass. Oh, isn't that called like tic tac bass or something? Yeah, you can call it tic tac bass, yeah. But you can't just do it. You gotta really work it out. So sometimes we're doing the exact same thing, and sometimes we break off, and I'm walking, and she's playing chords. So we had to really like spend time figuring out how this is all gonna work. And ever since then, we've been real close. She's a sweetheart. Yeah, we love her work very much, and we're just so happy when we see the faces that are coming out in these different Jack tours start to produce their own music. I got the opportunity to meet Lily May when she was in L.A. a couple months ago, and she did that small little bar show out here after Conan. And not only was she very, also very gracious, very nice, and very warm person to talk to, but that album of hers, Forever and Then Some, I just I thought was fantastic, and I think she's a really great songwriter. I'm excited to see her trajectory as well yeah her band is stellar too i went to the show at third man and her drummer in particular i mean her brother frank incredible yeah he's shredded yeah, he's hard. <laughs> and, I, and i actually played on her they recorded a lot for her album i think jack with her album he was gonna produce it a little bit differently and kind of let her guide you know some of the song selection and some you know just let her do her own thing a little bit and I think we might have done like 28 songs or something like that. And we actually, a couple of songs that aren't on the album were Carla and I and Frank, her brother, and Lily. Wow. Um, they just, and you know, they just didn't fit the album. Yeah. I thought it was really fascinating hearing about the stories of Dominic recording with Olivia Jean. I thought that was really, really cool. And I, you know, I hope he puts out a solo album. I do, too. We have plenty of material that we can go to that he's, you know, a part of that we can still consume and eat up. But, yeah, it would be nice. Even if it even a like a Blue Series type single with him on it, I would buy that. I'd purchase that. Yeah, absolutely. I think he fits the bill. I mean, Lily May went out on a limb and, and did it, uh, even though she had never done a solo, solo act before with her Blue Series. And so I think... I feel like Dominic could, too. And for that matter, I think uh, a lot of the Jack White band people could. You know, I think Daru could put out his own thing. I mean, he's definitely putting out his own music on Facebook, I see all the time. And he's just on Seth Meyers, too. Yeah, that's true. So I'd love to see some of these guys do some solo work. Yeah. Maybe have a band behind them, you know? Yes, absolutely. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I'd just like to see an album from the man. That's all I'm saying. No disrespect. I just want to see you record an album and achieve your dreams. That's all I'm saying. No disrespect. <laughs> well, I think the man is capable of achieving his dreams. I, I said no disrespect, all right? All right. All right. All right. We're just a couple of mooks from New Jersey. What do we know, huh? Well, well I tell you what we know, James. We know we're going to get back into this interview here. Uh, okay. No, don't shoot me. Uh, right. No disrespect, but we're going to go back into the interview here. No disrespect. You know what I mean? None taken. <laughs> 
Speaking of Carla, I recently saw her playing in the American Epic documentary, which uh, you also have had a big part in. How did you enjoy working on that? I guess that was two years ago at this point. You know, we did some of it in 2012, I believe. Oh, wow. It was a long time ago. Yeah, 2012 and 2013, I believe, was all of it. It's mm. funny. You can uh, see the hairstyles change uh, on the different people. Right. Like Fats like grows, right. a, uh, yeah. grows a goatee overnight, and Lily Mae's hair... Goes from like really <laughs> well, poofy to really <laughs> flat. Yeah, what, how it all started was that Bernard, the um, director, he came to a show. Can't remember which one, like Amherst or Powell or something in the UK. And he had his computer, and he's like, "I have the John Hurt footage that no one's ever seen." Wow. And I was like, "Wow, okay, wow." And then uh, I think he was planning. I mean, I'm, I'm, this is all sort of hearsay, but I think he was planning it just doing the documentary. And then, uh, sort of as an after fact, they found out that Nick had the lathe. And it was interesting uh, fact that the guy that ran all the lathe and everything in the movie mm. went to high school with Ike. With Ike. Oh, wow. Oh, that's oh, wow. cool. Wow. Yeah. Because he cuts records in Long Beach. He's like a, he, you know, he cuts plates for people for printing records, too. Right. And so I think it took so long because it just kept morphing and morphing. And then they didn't know if they wanted to... Uh, there were sort of it turned into two separate things but I think initially it wasn't going to be two separate things the, the sessions and the sort of documentary you know mm-hmm. what I mean it was a little frustrating though it took so long we worked so fast and we just it wasn't in our the ball wasn't in our court you know right, right. Cause we were kind of like when is this going to come out and then it got pushed maybe three or four times said it was coming out in spring and then it said fall and then it said winter and then, you know so, but it's totally worth it, man. I really, it meant a lot to do that. Like, I watched my in-laws, you know, my wife's a folk musician, and her parents are sort of folk revivalists, you know. Mm-hmm. They play old-time string band music, but they came about it in the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, I watched one episode with them, and just seeing their reaction, yeah. it, was, it was awesome. Daddy, if you ain't got no bungalow, no reservations, son, don't let your hands be filled. I'm just red hot papa you heard so much talking about but this is an asbestos woman who'll mortally push your fire out hmm papa you ain't got no matrimonial inclinations just keep your hands to yourself don't jump down when i first met you i had no shoes but look at me now i got these barefooted blues hmm. papa you ain't got no I let out a, a little cheer when I saw you up there and I saw Daru and Carla and Lily and Fats up there. It was it was just really cool to see you guys playing with all these different really cool musicians. What was it like playing with Nas? Oh, that was great, man. You know, I don't know if you know his story, but his, his dad is a jazz trumpet player named Oludara. Oh, wow. And so he plays with Wiz Marsalis, like in his big band. But he also, his solo thing that he does is kind of like a Todd Hall thing. He plays like band pipes and jaw harp and stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, so Nod is no stranger to, you know, old time music. It's interesting seeing the comments on, you know, assorted sites that are hosting the PBS stuff when it's open to comments. Uh, oh, never, read, never read the comments. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's it's terrible, but Nas fans are like, is he okay? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, because a lot of his fans are surprised by this, it seems. No, I mean, it's always interesting what the <laughs> haters are going to say. It was really great with him. We actually did four songs with it, and they released two. We did a lot. Jack did a bunch of songs. 
Uh, we just didn't want them all in the documentary. Right. And it was, right. you know, it was such a hard way to record because you can't hear it. Right. 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 So you gather around it, you cut a record, and then you say, oh, the vocals are too quiet, step forward, and the bass is too loud, step back. You know, sometimes we'd have to cut maybe eight sides before we got the mix right. It seems extra challenging, but I guess Jack is always up for that, for sure. Oh, for sure. The biggest one was the best. You know, he brought in all those singers, and anything loud just didn't translate. Yeah. Made me really realize in the 20s, those folks recording, they, you know, like you mentioned in Inclinations, Jack, he's whispering into that mic, and it sounds just like Robert Johnson, you know? And I think what they did on the recordings, what they did on, on the street or in the bar and the dance hall were two totally different things. Right. I had heard that there were, like, 14 takes of the Beck gospel choir to get it just... He, yeah. He had to yeah. tell him to move to the corner, right? He was like, get, get over there. He told him to turn around at one point. I mean, it was, it was really it was really hard. And, it's, you know, there's nothing you could do. There's no game structure out there. Right. You know, it's just, here, here's a mic, and... What, what are you going to do? Well, he made him pull a Robert Johnson, had him uh, sit in the corner and have their acoustics. <laughs> no, it worked out. It worked out. In the, in the end, it worked out really well. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I think my favorite is the Los Lobos. Yeah, yeah. Because well, the thing broke in the middle of that, and he had to go fix it, right? That was the Los Lobos one, I think. Yeah, it was. But they just tore it up. So cool. Yeah. And then, the, you know, we were kind of on call for a lot of it. We didn't know who was going to want a band or who was going to want to do what. So for the Willie and Merle song, the song they just wrote, yeah. Lily May and Beth and I were like sitting on the ground like 10 feet from them because we needed to learn the song in case they wanted us. Right. <laughs> and so that was special, you know. And then Merle, when we played the, the song with them, Merle grabbed Lily May's fiddle and just played it. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I didn't realize he was playing her fiddle there. That's cool. Oh, yeah. That was so special to see him on there, obviously, uh, having passed. It was wonderful. Those kind of moments that were brought together through this documentary were just phenomenal. Yeah, it was really special. And the, the producer and the director, they really, their heart and soul was in it. If you, some of those interviews with, like, Robert Lockwood Jr. and some of the other folks, those were, like, they died 13 years ago. Right, He's right. been doing this for a really long time. Right. And that's it's sort of runs the opposite of Jack's usual MO, which is do it, get it out, you know, get it out the door. <laughs> well, and it was sort of changing as we were doing it. Yeah. Like, you know, we didn't know, we didn't know there was going to be a house band and then T-Bone had the Americans doing some stuff. And then it was, I think we did four different trips to L.A. Wow. and just a few days at a time. Because, you know, we were asking all these folks to come and do it. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's so many schedules at play. Did you uh, did you work directly with T-Bone Burnett at all? or I have a few times now. Uh, I did a... I mean, he was there a bunch for those things. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually lives in Nashville, and his wife writes in Nashville. Okay. Nice. So there's a, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of, you know... So uh, he called me once. I played a thing on CMT for Merle, actually. We played, Merle was receiving an award, and T-Bone put together a band for Eric Church and Ashley Monroe to play a Merle song for Merle at this award show. T-Bone's special, man. He's he's got it. He's got his ear to the ground. Yeah, we first encountered his musical stylings, actually, because of the Cold Mountain soundtrack, uh, which was amazing. Oh, cool. Or at least I did. I don't know about Paul. When I was growing up, uh, one of Jack's brothers recorded a Bob Dylan concert, a Rolling Thunder review concert, off oh. of CD. It was from like Fort Collins, Colorado. It's like a it's like a famous bootleg now. Yeah. I think it was like a one time thing on TV, and they taped it. And T Bone of that, he was a musical director of that band back then. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, that's where he, that's where I know him from. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, you see his persona now. Back then he had like a tie-dyed t-shirt tied to his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's changed a little bit since then. Yeah, just a little. I mean, he had to keep his in his 20s then. So. Yeah. It's funny you say that doing this podcast has really helped us sort of start to realize just how much musical knowledge and taste has been shaped by just through these various tangential connections from Jack to all these people. And that's really, I think, the best thing about being fans of Third Man Records is just that you're exposed to all these things you wouldn't maybe normally be exposed to but uh, through other avenues. And I, I think that's a really... That, now, that's that's a part of the Third Man Records mission, right? Like, that's that's part of what, like, their whole deal is, is, is to just do that for the fans. It's really cool. Yeah, it's amazing when you get on the inside of things there how much they do just for the sake of doing mm-hmm. it like how, like you know the record booth probably will never pay itself off you know <laughs> from a business standpoint but he didn't you know a lot of what goes on there isn't about him or him or about business it's just to have some, you know, some sort of creativity flowing. Right. Yeah. We've been pretty thankful for it. So, and for you and everybody else who participates in, in all that stuff, we eat it up. So we we enjoy it. Awesome. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff in the works that we can't talk about. Right. But. Yes, I was gonna say I I, uh, <laughs> I know you can't talk about it, but we would. I I know seeing Battle Cry pop up was a big thrill for us because we really were really excited to hear some new Jack music there. And I know you can't talk about it, so pl- you know. Th- you know, I I can say. Without a doubt, it isn't happening yet. <laughs> so, uh, Battle Cry, you know, th- th- he started that company with, with Ian Kinsler. We we went to spring training. We're big time Tigers fans, so we went to spring training a couple years ago. A lot of playing for the Tigers there, mm. and uh, oh. in the clubhouse. Oh, and wow. I think that's oh, where wow. that, some of those friendships started. Yeah. And you know, that was really special. That song is is something else. But that's I awesome. don't think yeah. it's like the, it's not ushering in the next record just okay. yet. Yeah, good to know. It's funny. I saw I played the Monterey Pop Festival yesterday in California, and Jack Johnson was there, and his production manager was our production manager. Uh-huh. Um, and this happens a lot at festivals. You wind up seeing the same crew. Like Jack's guitar tech was there with Jack Johnson. Jack White. Right. <laughs> good to see all these folks, but everybody's like, "What are we going on tour again?" And I really, I mean, you know, the break between Lazaretto and Blunderbuss was almost two years, mm-hmm. and that's where we're at now. Right. So. I would think it's going to be a, a little bit longer. Yeah, so, yeah. We were definitely, definitely going to make an album first. That. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, we know he's holed up in that motel or whatever it is that he he's talked about doing writing songs in isolation or some such. So, um, yeah, like he's been talking about writing songs. Michael Jackson always talked about writing songs with the melody first. So he would like basically scat all these things. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. his voice and then put music down after it I, kind of, I think that's he's trying to do something like that or I don't, I don't know I haven't heard anything yet yeah. Yeah. yeah but you know he's the kind of guy he's got there's 10 things going on all the time right you know the, the pressing plan is a gigantic undertaking and you know war stick and all this it's, it's kind of crazy he's always you know 500 miles an hour or 300 miles per hour and uh, torrentially outpouring. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, uh, D- Dominic, I, I just want to thank you again for joining us on the, on the show. This has been just an incredible experience for us, and we're, we're just yeah. so thankful that you, that you took the time to spend with us today. Thank you so much. I feel well, like we course, could. I could feel like we could ask you questions for hours and hours, but I don't want to take up your time. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, guys. Do you have any upcoming shows or immediate projects or anything Rachel's doing you want to plug while you're on the show? Uh, 
boy, I can't think of anything at the moment. I've been on the road with the All-Stars, but I'm not doing everything they're doing this summer. Okay. Yeah, there's a cool thing happening that maybe I shouldn't mention, but I will, that with the Tigers, Detroit Tigers at third man. Oh. I think they're going to announce any day now, which should be pretty cool. Awesome. It involves cool. some, of, some of the, you know, the usual cast. That sounds amazing. Yeah, so that, that's been in the works for months. It's not a bobblehead, I'll tell you that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. Thank you so much for being on the show. We, we really appreciate it. And uh, if you guys ever play uh, near Philly or New York, I'll be sure to go out there and watch your show. I think Paul will go in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah I'm out here yeah, in L.A., great. Dominic. I, uh, you know, you ever oh, out here? Oh, man, anymore? I just played at the Roxy. Dwayne Betts sat in and Lucinda Williams sat in. What? We played... Uh, we played in memory of Elizabeth Reed with Dickie Betts. What? Wait, with Dickie? Do you say with Dickie Betts or with his son? No, with his son, Dwayne Betts. He's yeah. a good friend of yeah. the All-Stars. I saw Dickie uh, a couple years back in, in Camden, New Jersey. put on a hell of a show. Yeah, man. Well, hey, anytime you're out here, we'll, we'd love to buy you a drink or something like that. And in the meantime, thank you again. This has been wonderful. I know we said it like a million times, but we can't believe you're doing this. So thank you very much. Thank you, Carl. Well, thanks for the call, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank all right, you. Yeah, thank all right. You. Hey, wish uh, wish your father-in-law a very happy retirement from the both of us. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> all right. All right. Take care. Take it Take easy. Care. Bye. Bye, guys. Back to the show. James, that interview was amazing. I'm still glowing from it. I still can't believe that it happened, uh, but it it did against all odds. Uh, we got a real life. Let's just call it what it is. Let's call it spade a spade. He's a rock star. We got a rock star on the show, James, and I'm very very excited about it. I'm busting, Jerry. I'm busting. I wish I could see you because of the LASIK. It's so painful, <laughs> and, uh, and my my eyes are blind, but. Blind Jimmy Two Skis, they call him. That's me. And, and, and once again, I actually would like to just throw in another plug here. If you haven't had the pleasure of listening to the North Mississippi All-Stars or Rachel Davis's work, absolutely run out. Go listen to that. We're going to put a little bit on the end tag of this show here. We'll play it. We played a little bit during the interview, but go out, support these musicians, and uh, we really look forward to the next time we hear from Dominic, which will hopefully be on that next record. I got to say, I was a little... Ah, to hear that they haven't actually gone into the studio yet to record the new album, but hey, we know it's coming, and hey, that's going to be amazing. I can't wait. Yeah, I know it'll be a fantastic album, and I can't wait to dive deeper into the North Mississippi All-Stars. All right, James, now we got some shout-outs to give. We have new listeners to the show, and then we have our regulars. James is, uh, has not queued it up yet, but we're going to watch his face in real time as he does this. And James, our new listeners for this week, we've got, oh, we've got a bunch of good ones. And the first one, James, very fitting, Jennifer Succata. Yeah. Who followed us on Twitter. We're really excited about that. <laughs> so thank you, Jennifer. We appreciate the follow. Thank you to Laura T or at Laura underscore Tulin. Thank you so much, Laura. We've got uh, Jake McAlvain or at Jake McAlvain on Twitter. Yep. Thank you to David Scarjoon at Scarjoon on Twitter. Thank you so much. Thank you, David. We have Ohana3PS on Twitter. Thank you very much, Ohana3PS. We got Leland Fingstag. Thank you so much, Leland. We appreciate it. Leland, you're great. We've got Melinda Taylor. Thank you, Melinda. Thanks. We got K.A. 
Aubrey, or Ka-Aubrey, as I like to call her. Yes, and then we've got our regular listeners, James, those who are with us week in and week out. We've got Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation. we got Andre Ice Cold Lyman. We've got Eileen Corsano. We see you there, Eileen. We've got David Poe. We've got Jeremy Riles keeping us on the rails. We got S.A. Franco. What does that mean? <laughs> does it mean scorched anteater? I think she's... Sombrero Antonio. We've got Callie Durga. Sangria applesauce. <laughs> <laughs> James, I think you just accidentally invented a Bennigan's appetizer. <laughs> It's all loaded in a potato skin. Don't worry. (laughs) The only way to devour alcohol-infused applesauce in a potato skin. Don't worry. There's cheese on top. We've got Callie Durga, our third woman in spirit every week. Thank you, Callie. We've got Adrian King, the punk rock queen. Thank you so much, Adrian. We've got Amy Hart, the heart of the operation. And oh me, oh my, we've got me, oh my. What do you want? So little lady walks, boy. If you'd like to reach out to us on f- social media, we are available at facebook.com slash thirdmen, on Twitter at thirdmencast, Tumblr, thethirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com, our WordPress page, thethirdmen.wordpress.com. You can send us an email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. You could visit our iHeartRadio page where we host the show, Spreaker, that's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, and you can search The Third Men. You can also find us on YouTube where James posts visualizers. Please rate, review, and subscribe on the iTunes, and you can also find us on services such as Acast, etc. That's right, Paul. We'd also like to say if you have any listener questions, please send them in. We're doing an episode on that currently, and we we do have a lot right now, but hey, we're always accepting more. We'd also like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help of recording our theme song, We're the Third Men. And uh, thank you to Susanna Roundtree for the intros and outros of our program. And as always, we'd like to thank our third man for this week and... Uh, for the whole episode Dominic Davis thank you so much for being on the show Dominic we we really appreciate it you were amazing and uh, very very kind to do this interview especially mid-travel so we appreciate it yes Dominic uh, you're amazing we love you you're great and we hope to talk to you again soon we hope to buy a beer if you're ever in the Los Angeles or the New York area come by and say hi Yeah, definitely. And James, that's going to do us for this week. And until next week, I am going to be looking for a home on a ray of sunshine. (laughs) I'll be looking for a home in an eye doctor's uh, (laughs) office because I can't see anymore. (laughs) That would be an optometrist and bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time.
I want one guy to do that to a mobster. <laughs> no disrespect. <laughs> None taken. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm in uh, the Chicago airport, so I hope there isn't too much background noise. Oh, that sounds fine. fine. That's okay. cool. Um, the, the last time I was in that airport, I noticed a giant dinosaur, I believe. Is that giant dinosaur yeah, still, hanging, still out? hanging out? It is always there, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm here a lot for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Abba? Oh no, that that is Madonna. That's that's a, that's a late Madonna song. Oh, I'm gonna leave. Uh. Saving everything. I'm saving everything. Uh. That's our fourth person on this call, the airport person. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, no, it's I'm okay. My flight, is, my flight is late. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, it's okay. Here. Oh, well, it might be okay. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to grab life by its points. <laughs> Trying to get try tonight. Finger bang, finger stang, finger stink. <laughs> please, no photos. Please, please don't know. No, no photos. Thank you. I'm just gonna put on my sunglasses. All these flash photos these yeah. this flash uh, photography it's just uh, blinding me paul it's blinding me uh, oh please please though no, i know we are we are spectacularly famous Ugh. now but i'm gonna have to ask all of you to please put your oh my god the air conditioner's on <laughs> thank you no no photos please no, no photos too bright it's too bright i'm I am of the vampire variety. I cannot be near bright lights. No photos. No photos. Uh, James. Uh, I don't know, man. He's punched a lot of people. Um, I just like to be there for my fan. Oh, this is god awful. Yeah. Oh, what else we got? What else we got? Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs>